When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All of us. The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. The reverberations of the reckoning over abuse in the NWSL are still being felt throughout women's soccer. On today's episode of All of Us, we are joined by someone who's been calling for change and someone who's made change herself when it comes to abuse in the sport. Former Ireland international Kira McCormick is our guest today. She details how a moment of fate in a grocery store encouraged her to speak out about an abusive coach, the need for a registry for coaches, and why she thinks we may have finally reached a tipping point when it comes to abuse in the game. I'm Seth Fertelny. Welcome along to all of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Joining me as ever is Goal's women's soccer correspondent, Amy Rushguy. Amy, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We had a very interesting chat today with Kira McCormick. She is a former professional soccer player. She played in Denmark, Norway, and Australia. She also represented the Republic of Ireland internationally between 2008 and 2014. But she was born and raised in Canada, and that's where her soccer career began. She played for Vancouver Whitecaps women growing up, as well as Canada's under-20 team. And it is with those teams that she was coached by Bob Berarda. She was in a very difficult situation playing under this coach. He created a toxic environment for her and some of her teammates. She was able to get out by using her Irish heritage to to move over to the Ireland program, but she remained in close contact with a number of her former teammates over the years, and they detailed a number of abuses that continued under Berarda. Uh, after her playing career ended in 2019, she came forward as a whistleblower in a blog post that was titled A Horrific Canadian Soccer Story, the story no one wants to listen to, but everyone needs to hear, where she came forward and detailed the behavior of Berarda during his time in charge. This blog post is 
led to Berarda one year later being criminally charged with nine sex crimes and his trial is still pending. Kira knows what it takes to come forward. She knows how difficult it is. So she has been, of course, monitoring the developments in the NWSL very closely over the last couple weeks. And she has a very interesting and unique perspective on everything that's been going on in the game. So without further ado, our chat with Kira McCormick. Kira, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So we have a lot to talk about with the current goings-on in the world of women's soccer. Um, But before we get into our current situation, I want to go back to 2019 when you made this decision to come forward with um, some of your experiences uh, earlier in your career with um, an abusive coach. Uh, in a blog post, and I just wanted you to kind of take us back to that moment and when you decided to come forward, what what was it that, that made you eventually make that, I'm sure, difficult decision? What went into your, your thinking? Um, I think it was a story, like, I think I sort of knew the weight of it. I I don't think I really totally understood the weight of it until after I had written the blog and how much later I felt. Um, I think, yeah, it it was, I mean, it was something we were actively trying to report like myself and a couple of teammates for about 10 years. And I think in that time, um, like the Jerry Sandusky thing had happened, uh, the Larry Nassar thing. um, And then, you know, so those are obviously two big cases that sort of, um, you know, just kind of brought sexual misconduct covered up into the forefront. And then um, in Canada, like a month or two before I wrote or published the blog, there was um, in the media in Canada, there was um, some media on uh, abuse and sport in within Canadian sport. And so that was the first time that I'd sort of seen it mentioned in Canada. And yeah, I just basically sort of felt like I'd been carrying this weight for a long time. And I just felt like I was going to just, I'd written the blog a few times over the decade, but I just sat down and I wrote the whole thing. And then I wasn't sure if I was going to publish it. And I was on my way out of, I'd sort of gone to a Whole Foods that had a eating area. Anyways, I was writing the blog there, finished, was on my way out the door, decided to go back to get some cookies for my walk home, was standing in the checkout line, like one of like 10 checkout lines. And this girl was standing behind me, like looking at me. Anyways, long story short, we started chatting um, and she's like, are you Kira McCormack? I was like, I am. And then um, anyway, she's like, I'm, you know, 10 years younger than you. I was on the youth national teams. Um, you know, I, anyways, we, we realized we were like Facebook friends and we kind of knew each other. Anyways, we were chatting, 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 and then got to the end of the checkout line. And then I said, you know, it's really weird running into you. I just finished writing this blog post about this coach. Did you ever have him? And she started to get teary and was like, here, I've been in therapy the last two years because of that guy. Um, and so for me, it was almost like a sign from the universe. Obviously I was terrified to make the sort of, to throw it out there, but like, it was just, what are the chances? And in, after the fact, she said that she never went into the whole foods, felt compelled to walk in that night, grabbed a bar of soap, didn't need anything, just felt like she should get something. So it was just total crazy serendipity that we were in line together. And so that, to be honest, that was what I was like, okay, I have to publish this. (laughs) Like if I'm supposed to die. I'm supposed to die, but, um, so yeah, that actually, that really weird coincidence I'd say was sort of what 
tip me over the edge. Wow, that's that is crazy. Once once that that post came out, what what was the the response and the reaction like at at the time? Um, I mean, I'll never forget it. I posted it in the morning and I had a one friend retweeted it and put it on his Facebook wall. And, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I actually was terrified. Obviously, it was like a huge thing I was putting out there. And um, yeah, I'll never forget. It was like later in the afternoon, all of a sudden it started to get retweeted. And then you know, I could see on the views of the page, you know, it, it was just by the time that evening hit, I actually was over at the girl's house that was in behind me in the checkout line. Um, anyways, and I was at her house. It was like my, every time I put my phone down, I picked it up and I had like 20 new Twitter notifications. And, you know, I could just see the views were like skyrocketing on the page. And yeah, so it was like 25,000 views the first night. And, you know, just the Twitter, my Twitter was just filled with like, and my, like, I'd put it on Facebook as well. I just got tons and tons and tons of supportive messages, which, you know, obviously I didn't know what to expect. So it was sort of a, yeah, it, it, it felt good. It felt validating. And obviously like it made me feel a little less scared about, you know, putting it out there. And, and for you knowing what it takes to have the courage and yeah, just the bravery to come forward with that and put that out there. I mean, what have you made of everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks and the, again, the bravery and the courage that some of these players in the NWSL have shown to come forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so vulnerable and it's obviously, you know, I think anyone playing women's soccer is not playing for, you know, the, the big dollars or whatever you're playing because you love the sport. And I think, um, you know, so I think from that standpoint, I totally, you know, can empathize with, you know, loving your sport. And then all of a sudden coming up against these characters that, um, yeah, are just, you know, not good people. And so, I mean, yeah, I can imagine how scary it is really putting these stories out there. And, and I do also know though, like what a, like what a weight is lifted off your shoulders when you come forward and when you are finally validated. So from that standpoint, like, I'm really happy for those players, um, that, you know, that they're hopefully going to sort of experience some of the catharsis of coming forward, because I definitely know for me, like it changed my life, like in terms of, you know, just really, it was like a massive trauma that was sitting over my life for a decade. And I'm sure similarly to those players and, and, um, yeah, so I, I think, Anytime you sort of shine light on the darkness, I think it's a positive thing. And and I think, um, yeah, I, I'm someone said to me actually really bizarrely, like a couple of weeks before they posted the blog that they were saying in women's soccer, the fact that there hadn't been a lot of abuse stories, like they were saying that, you know, it was a journalist actually. And he said that that was sort of where he found the worst stories were, were kind of where it was the quietest. So that was also kind of what I thought of when, those when Mana and Sinead came forward with their story. Yeah, and it's certainly become a lot less quiet uh since they did, you know. We've we've seen players from from other NWSL teams speak out. We've seen players from across the world speak out and it 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 seems like it's just so widespread and it, it's it's a really tough moment because you kind of look around and you're like are there any good coaches out there? You know, like, of course there are, but it's just like the stories just pile up on each other. Um, I mean, how, how widespread do you think that, that this issue is right now across the game? Um, you know, 
to be honest, I think it starts in youth sports. Um, and in you, I'll just, we'll stick with soccer, but, um, you know, I ran a club on the East coast of the U S for five years, um, 2011 to 2016 and even just starting there like what I witnessed on sidelines the way coaches screamed at players and um you know it's it's flat out verbal abuse you know and and um you know and it just becomes so normalized and all I could think of was like if you put these coaches in a classroom this would never be okay but for some reason on sports field we allow it and so I think that that's the first problem and I, I think it's you know, yeah, I think we're allowing players to be mistreated from a young age. And then I think as you move into college, obviously, like there's more at stake in terms of scholarships and all those sorts of things and, you know, pressure on coaches to win games. And, um, you know, again, it, it's I think a lot of times, too, like we just look at sexual misconduct or sexual abuse as the harm. But I think there's so much trauma um, in athletes leaving the game, um, in general, you know, after a negative experience or, you know, an awful abusive, you know, mentally, verbally, whatever. And, and I think that that doesn't necessarily get enough recognition. And I think it just continues then to like push the boundary then where you're sort of used to being mistreated. And now you're in a, you know, a, a professional club or the stakes are even higher. Or the coaches have even more power. And so I think it's a continuum. Like, I don't think it's like, it's a great happy world. And then all of a sudden you have an abusive coach. Like I do think that as female players and I, I mean, I don't know the men's game as well, so I'll just speak on the women's game. But I think that that bar kind of gets started when players are in youth soccer and it just continues to get pushed. And, you know, I just think like there's so many players leaving soccer with just negative experiences, you know? And, and I mean, I think just as a sport, as a whole, we need to be majorly self-reflecting because, you know, at the end of the game or sorry, at the end of the day, whether you're, you know, in youth, you play youth soccer, college soccer, professional soccer, like sports is supposed to be something that's positive, you know? And I just think there's way too many players coming out of it, having had an awful experience. And it doesn't just end, you know, even with all these situations, they don't just end when you leave the sport, like it drags on, you know, like, and I can speak for myself with my own situation, you know, it's, I've had a lot of therapy to kind of get through the things that I've gotten through. And, and I can speak for, you know, former teammates as well that are in the same situation. So, um, yeah, I think that that's something that I think, upon reflection, um, I've realized like is it, it's not just these one-off huge situations. I think there's lots of micro situations all over the place, you know? And I just think, I think it's a good moment to sort of reflect, you know, that I think it's happening right now, you know, where I think there's a huge moment of reckoning where players are thinking about what they've put up with from a treatment perspective. And maybe some coaches are a little nervous thinking back on how they've treated players, you know? For sure. And you mentioned that. I mean, the the common theme to your story and, and the other stories is that people are in positions as, as like gatekeepers and you have to stay on their good side to get a shot in this team or, or this league. I mean, do you know, do, what do you think can be done to, to change or just alter and put, like you say, give the players more power in, in that sort of situation? Um, I think union, like the player unions is a huge positive. Um, you know, I think even in terms of, you know, with this situation in the NWSL, like the players association, I think was pretty prominent in the whole situation in the sense of giving players a safe place to report. And also where the NWSL tried to, you know, 
again, I've been in deep in the abuse and sports space the last couple of years. So like the thing that they love to do organizations when abuse happens is sort of take the narrative and say they're hiring an investigator and they're going to be looking into things. And I kind of love the way that the NWSL Players Association was like, no, actually, this is our investigator and you guys need to submit to our investigation. So that's a part of that story that I'm kind of interested to follow because it doesn't usually happen like that. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the biggest thing. Like I know for me, I've joined um, the PFA CAN. I'm on the board for Canada for the Professional Players Union. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, our job is to be advocating for the players. And I think that that part of it, um, you know, players having a safe place to report and uh, organizations and bodies that are looking out for their best interest. I think that that hopefully will start to sort of um, balance out the power a little bit because I think that, that was a huge problem, you know, both in NWSL that before this year, there was no anti-harassment, anything. And, um, you know, that's, and I mean, for us as well, like back in the day, there was nowhere to report anything going on. So, um, you know, you're at the mercy of there being decent people at the helm. And usually there aren't because they're more concerned with protecting their organizations. So that's kind of how, these things are able to happen. So I definitely think player unions moving forward is going to be a big part of it for sure, especially at the professional level. Uh, you just, cause you, you mentioned PFA can there. I mean, what have you done being on that board and to, to make things better in Canada and, and what changes have you made maybe in, in reflection of what happened to you and what has happened to others? Um, To be totally honest, um, there hasn't been a lot done from a tangible perspective at this point. Um, Speaking specifically to PFA CAN, I know a big sort of um, part of the focus at the minute is just with the CPL with the Canadian Premier League because they don't even they haven't even recognized the union, so that's a huge issue, obviously. Where, um, yeah, where the where men's players, where yeah, they're they're basically still at the mercy of whatever the league wants to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely think um, I definitely think there needs to be more done for sure. And I, I think that that obviously with me being on the board and sort of having had my own experiences, that's where I'm, you know, we had actually a situation a couple of months ago of a player that came home from overseas um, and was going to get charged some ridiculous fee by Canada soccer. So just cause she's a friend of mine and I guess kind of I'm known as being a bit outspoken. She asked if I would help her and, and I helped get like the, you know, I got PFA can involved in that. So um, that's just a small example. And and I think the more, yeah, I think the more like now I would say NWSL players would probably recognize their like players association as a safe place. And same thing, obviously, like the more we can do in Canada, the more that players can hopefully see that we're a body that's advocating for them and can see the value. And again, hopefully that sort of starts to to snowball and, and give players more power. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. I wanted to ask about another common thread that we've seen through your story and through several of these stories with NWSL teams, and that is these coaches are being let go for various forms of abuse, but when the announcement is made, the reasons for their ouster are not made public. 
And we've seen various teams explain this in, in different ways. Uh, some will say there are legal reasons behind it. Some will say it's for protecting the players. Um, I think it's clear that this is a problem, but maybe what's less clear is is how to go about fixing it. Uh, how do you see this issue and, and, and what do you think can be done to maybe force teams' hands in, in these situations where they're releasing a coach because of some abusive behavior? Um, you know, I, I think people mention privacy as a reason behind why, or, you know, legal, all that kind of stuff on the, on the privacy side of things, which I think is absolutely a cop out. And I think even within our situation and with the situation with Paul Riley, like, in both situations, the people that were hiring the person, like, it's not like they were going off to the other side of the world and nobody knew anybody, like everybody knows everybody. And so even if they didn't want to announce it publicly, if they were like decent people, of course they could, you know, put a word in or let them know exactly what had gone on. Um, so that being said, obviously it shows that people aren't going to do that. So I do think then what needs to happen is basically that coaches sign off that if you're getting let go for a reason that is anything, you know, anything because of your poor behavior or whatever, like I think it needs to get announced publicly because, um, yeah. And I think when you're, when you're coaching and you're in charge of people and you have that much power over people, I think that you should give up the right to your privacy. And, and I think the safety of athletes is more important. So I absolutely think that, um, there should be something signed off on that sort of negates that, you know, privacy cover or whatever, because I think obviously, again, what's gone on both in the situation with Canada soccer and the Whitecaps and with this whole situation, um, in the NWSL, both have sort of, you know, they've been let go for misconduct and then they've just allowed to continue on. And that's, not only does that obviously put the next bunch of players in harm's way, but it really does do a lot of trauma to the players that have sort of been at the other end of whatever the misconduct was to sort of just see, you know, it, it takes a lot for somebody to come forward in the first place. And then to just see that sort of brushed under the rug, a nice, you know, pretty tying of the bow and then sending them back out. Like that's, there's a lot of trauma in that. So, um, yeah. And I think that that necessarily doesn't get the recognition that it should, but yeah, I definitely think that they should be waiving their rights to that sort of privacy and it should be public knowledge if they're letting, if they're getting let go for misconduct. Do you think that that's something that could be part of a CBA requiring organizations to disclose the, the reasons for firing a coach? Um, I think we need more like, you know, and again, I, nobody wants to touch it obviously because of the legal, you know, and I'm sure it's the added headache and no one's sort of had the pressure put on them to do it before, but like, you know, I'll speak for where, you know, where I'm from in Canada. Like I know there's a teacher registry. So like if I'm a teacher and I get fired for misconduct or I get put like pulled aside for misconduct, you know, I can like now it's in my file and it's, you know, open to the next person that's going to look to hire me. And they can see that in, you know, 2017, I got fired for X, Y, and Z, or I was reprimanded for X, Y, and Z. And like, I don't understand why, you know, U S soccer, Canada soccer, like 
any of these organizations, like even, you know, they're all under FIFA. Like why have we not figured out like a common registry where you have your, you know, your number, I'm, you know, coach one, two, three, four, five. And now like it tracks me, whether I'm in Canada, whether I'm in Mexico, whether I'm in Europe, whatever, like, and you know, there's a way to see what my background is, what my history is, what my misconducts, you know, like I just, I think that there needs to be something like that because yeah, like even, you know, coaches are able to jump from country to country, you know, like even if let's just say a registry existed within a country. So, um, yeah. And unfortunately I, I think that organizations, you know, they don't want to have more reasons to be liable or more tracking or more hassles. So again, the deeper that I go into all of this stuff, the more that I feel like any like, you know, solutions that's going to benefit the players are going to come from, the players themselves, because I just don't think these initiatives are going to get taken up by the governing bodies, unfortunately, but they need to exist because I just think like the, the consequences are dire and there's just not a layer of protection now that there should be. You do see now that the players association has been really vocal that the players in general, I mean, the response has been beyond the U S it's been, I mean, over here in England, we have, you know, a big response in the WSL and, and the championship this weekend. I mean, do you feel like, we are in a position now where there is going to be real change that possibly doesn't just affect the US but can benefit people outside of the US as well. Um, it's funny because like I've sat very deep in the space for the last couple of years and I feel like I'm actually a very optimistic person, but the more that I've seen this abuse stuff go on, uh, the more I'm just completely jaded and like pessimistic in a way that's like very different to my personality. Um you know, again, I, I think the ripple has been big, which is awesome. And, and I think it's great to see, you know, players in other countries showing solidarity, taking a stand. I mean, I hope again, coaches are watching and they're seeing that this isn't acceptable. And, you know, if they sort of felt like they had a blank slate to do whatever they wanted before that they're starting to realize like they can lose their career, you know, over serious misconduct. So hopefully like from that standpoint and the amount of publicity it's gotten within the soccer community that that change kind of happens. But what I've witnessed, to be honest, like with all these different abuse cases is that there's this big splash and this big explosion and this big response. And then just, you know, nothing, maybe you push the needle a little bit, but there's not massive, tangible, structural, systemic change. And I think that that's, um, that's the part again, if we want really long lasting change, um, I think, I think there's an awareness now for sure. And I think an awareness on even a larger scale, like, um, you know, all of that is super positive, but, um, you know, just the things like having a safe place to report, having, you know, just like a basic code of conduct for coaches that's acceptable, you know, or, or widely accepted, um, investigations that are not done by the FAs or, you know, like, I think those are sort of systemic things. You know, I think another huge thing too, is like education, right. Where I think like now players, you know, even players that I've spoken to have sort of been self-reflecting and they're thinking like, my gosh, there's like all these things that were so normalized and okay. And now that I'm reflecting back on them, they're absolutely not, you know? So like, those are all positives. And I think that they'll change the culture a little bit, but yeah, I think in terms of like really strong, long lasting change, I think there's still way too much power in the hands of the organizations. And I think until that gets right sized a little bit more, I'm not optimistic, but I hope I'm proven wrong. Like, 
10,000%. Yeah, like you said, there's going to be a ton of attention on the situation right now, but over time, it's naturally going to wane. So I'm, I'm wondering, let's say it's a year down the line and you're looking at the situation. What are maybe one or two things that you're looking to have been put in place where you could say, okay, there really was some real positive change that, that came from this situation. What, what are those things that, that we should be looking at to, to be implemented? Um, I, I think that honestly, I think there needs to be like an athlete led organization that is again, sort of providing the safe haven for other athletes that are in these sorts of situations. So to me, like, I think, you know, if, if I was starting something and if I wanted to kind of have the biggest bang for my buck without, you know, everyone's always worried about the legalities and all that kind of thing. But I think just education, like, you know, just, I mean, and I'll speak for myself. Like I got benched a few times in my career for speaking up about stuff, like, and not, not like in a respectful way, but the coach had the power, didn't like the fact that I was questioning it. And you know, had the power to give me consequences. And I always thought throughout my career that that was just like a consequence of my personality. And then I came to find out that that's actually a form of abuse called neglect. And like, so there's been a lot that I've learned, even just what constitutes abuse and and things that I just kind of put to the side previously. So I think that like, you know, I think, I think educating athletes is a huge thing. Educating parents, like letting them know the kind of long lasting damage that this sort of, sort of thing does. So I think that that's a huge thing. And then I just also think like, um, a safe place to report and just support too. Like, so, you know, again, from a reporting perspective, like sometimes you just need to have someone that like validates that what you're going through is awful. <laughs> and like, and here's, you know, some sort of helpful, things. And, and I know for me, like I got super lucky in my situation because I had posted my blog on my Facebook wall. And one of my best friends skied for Canada. We had an awful abuse case, um, in Canada with, uh, the national team for skiing. So the day I posted my blog, my friend put me in touch with the whistleblower from the ski team. And so I literally had, I don't know what I would have done without her the first month. Like, and I've never met her in person to this day, but like just having somebody that like validated how I was feeling, um, you know, kind of told me like, you know, talk to this person, don't talk to this person, do this, don't do this. Like, you know, I, I think obviously, you know, whistleblowing is a pretty huge thing, but I think sometimes when someone's going through something, like they just need somebody to sort of say like, yeah, this is serious, or here's like a coping mechanism, or, you know, even like, this is a police worthy complaint, like go to the police, you know, like, so I, I think just some kind of hotline that is run by the athletes for the athletes. And I guess in a way, like, you know, you see the, the solidarity that people are showing. I mean, do you think you mentioned the the kind of the skiing incident and you know sort of finding solidarity with somebody else who was a whistleblower? I mean, do you think that other athletes are seeing these cases and and thinking, well, you know, they've the support is there from the other athletes to to help them be brave and and sort of tell these stories and and you know showcase what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know the the thing in women's soccer, and obviously, like I've reflected a lot with everything that's gone on in the NWSL the last couple of weeks, but like 
like, it's not like people haven't tried to speak up about stuff, you know, before, right? Like there was Ella Mazar with uh, Magic Jack in, you know, 2011. There was Lenny Corin from Norway, whose coach, you know, sexually harassed her and benched her when she didn't give in to his, you know, and, and these are players that spoke up at the time and they were sort of like the, you know, they were the ones that were like maligned by their teammates because, you know, again, we've lived in this culture of like, female players just hanging on with, you know, for dear life with their spots. And so if that means a player speaks up, like they're going to show solidarity with the organizations and that's happened. So I think, you know, I think that there are players that have spoken up that I think hopefully now feel more validated um, in the fact that, you know, they're on the right side of history. Maybe they, you know, they walked away from the game hurt by what happened to them, but hopefully they're seeing now that like they did do the right thing and they are on the right side of this. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's almost like, you know, now, especially with how public this whole thing has been and how, you know, it's, it almost felt like a, you know, Oh, kind of remind, I don't know if this is a good metaphor, but like with the Black Lives Matter, where like all of a sudden every single person was like posting about it. You know, it's been an issue that's been a long lasting issue, but all of a sudden, you know, it hit like a tipping point and everybody started posting about it. And that's kind of what this felt like as well, right? Like, just like we've always known racism's existed for like forever, right? And then all of a sudden it became this thing that like everyone jumped on board. Like that's kind of been the thing where I think like everyone in women's soccer has known a lot of this stuff has gone on but now all of a sudden it's safe to come forward and to say something. So yeah, I think anytime you have those sorts of situations and there's awareness, um, you know, and solidarity and all those things, like, I think it can only help the group that's, um, you know, suffering and stuff. And you just hope now that it's like, there's actually, you know, it lasts longer than just the social media posts and that kind of thing. And it doesn't just go back to the status quo, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll sort of see how things unfold on that front. Yeah. And you mentioned, Magic Jack, you know, at, at the time of the allegations against uh, their owner, uh, Abby Wambach, who was their star player, kind of came out on his side. And then over the last few days, she posted an apology basically on her Twitter saying that um, she has kind of had some time to reflect and, and considered her decisions at the time. And maybe she would have done something differently now. I mean, how, how important... Was that to you to kind of close the chapter on that and, and show that players now seem to be together much more than they were at, at the time? Again, like I said, those of us that have sort of been in the trenches of women's soccer for the last couple of decades and have sort of seen, you know, again, the different cast of characters and you know and I I I likened it to sort of and again I don't know if this is an appropriate metaphor but like kind of war right like where you know everybody kind of makes a decision do you stay silent do you play into the bad behavior of the leadership that's in charge do you speak up and and like lose everything for speaking up and um, you know, now all of a sudden the other side is like won the war and now everyone's jumping on that side. So yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, behavior that's played into the abuse in the past. And so, you know, I think again, like I know for me, I think any of us, all of us that have been playing women's soccer that have been in these abusive situations, regardless of what our choices were, like, I think we're all victims because we all deserve the right to just be able to play the sport and like not have to be making these choices and, and whatever. But 
yeah, I mean, I think it's important for people that were on the side of harm that they are now like acknowledging the fact that they were people and, and perpetrators of harm or supporters of harm in the past. And like, I think that acknowledgement is super important to be able to move forward because there was a lot of people hurt by, you know, people playing into abusers in the past. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's good that Abby said something. Um, you know, again, I, I, I think that um, I, again, Ella Mazar was the one that I remembered from 2011. That was the only one or one of the only ones that spoke up at the time. So again, she'd be the person to sort of ask how that, you know, if she felt like that was a, a, a good apology that sort of made her feel like the, the wrong was righted or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like nobody wants to dwell on the past. I think everybody just wants to move forward. Everybody wants a sport to be in a better place. So, um, yeah, I think for sure it's, it's I think it's important to acknowledge the past and, and the harm all of us, I'm sure, have caused people and allow space for everybody to grow. Um, and I think that, yeah, for sure that that was um, a good first step. And and obviously with somebody that has a sort of a high of a following, like Abby Wambach, like I think that, that was great that she did that. And hopefully people, you know, reach out publicly and privately and we can all move forward. And you mentioned about moving forward. I mean, going back to, you know, what happened in Canada, I mean, a lot of the people that were involved um, in overseeing and sort of covering up what happened are, are still involved in in football, in, in soccer, in Canada, and, you know, in, in FIFA even. I mean, what what do you think that says about where we are staying and just how much needs to be done more? Um, You know, again, like, I don't have experience in other realms. Um, and for whatever reason in soccer, I don't know, like, it just seems like there's a certain layer that is kind of untouchable. And so, you know, again, for me, like, I don't, I don't have the answers. I mean, I think even like, like if you look at the white caps, like, you know, there's been a lot of situations of harm, major situations. Like we're not just talking, like we're talking like the police involved situations and the exactly the same owner, you know, the front office, everyone's the same and, and no one seems to, you know, like there's, there's been nothing done at all, but again, who's going to do it, right? Like Canada soccer, well, actually Canada soccer happens to be side by side with the white caps in covering up everything that happened in our situation. Oh, you're going to go to FIFA. Oh, well, someone that was with Canada soccer is now with FIFA, you know, like, so it, it's kind of, I mean, I think for me, like, I mean, it just, I, I don't know. I, I like to kind of focus on what I can control and, and, you know, making what, what's around me better. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's, trying to get to that level of accountability and, and force transparency. Like that's again, that would be a huge game changer, but that's again, like going back to the massive structural and systemic things that would need to change for this to really and truly be better. And in the, in the, you know, in the hands of athletes and is that going to happen overnight? Probably not. So I think, you know, again, it could be depressing and dark when you sort of think of like these people causing harm and there's no consequences to them, but I guess for me in my own world and my, keeping my own sanity, I try to just focus on like, what's the positive impact that I can have and what can I do within like my sphere of control and just like kind of hope that karma takes care of like the rest, you know? All right. For our last question, I have to ask you about something you tweeted recently about Ted Lasso. Uh, you said that all coaches should watch an episode of, of Ted Lasso. Um, what, what lessons can a real soccer coach learn from a fake soccer coach like Ted Lasso? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I it's funny because obviously as all this like dark stuff was going on, I was one of the like the longtime holdouts that sort of didn't jump on the Ted Lasso wave early. And so had the benefit of getting to sort of continue to watch episodes as all this dark stuff was unfolding. And I think like, um, you know, again, speaking about like bad coaches and everything, like I've also witnessed like amazing coaches. And, and you know, when I think of, Dan Egan was a coach that I had in Norway and like, he was a real soccer coach. Um, but like, you know, and he, and he would like, he's definitely not a Ted Lasso in terms of like, you know, over the top, but like, you know, he was someone that created like an amazing culture within our team and treated everybody with respect. And like, he didn't care, like, you know, if you were the Norwegian national team star, or if you were a 16 year old, like everybody was expected to show up and, and give their best effort. And, you know, and I, so I think, yeah, like when I think of Ted Lasso, like I said, like I've experienced real life people that have sort of made environments that, you know, and I think that's, that's the power of the coach, right? Like I think, and that's a sad thing when coaches choose to use that power to abuse it and and hurt people. Because I think on the flip side, there's just like, you know, a good coach and someone that creates a good, good culture. Like there's so much you can squeeze out of people individually. And there's so much you can squeeze out of a group. Like, and, you know, and like I said, for me, like, I just think, I don't know. I, I just love like sort of, again, you watch Ted Lasso and I know it's a fake thing and whatever, but like I said, I, I can relate it to real life coaches that I've had. And, and, you know, it's, it's like everybody should, coaches should be reminded at these courses. Like it's not just about X's and O's, like so much of it is your, like how you treat people and just like, just the amount of like possibility if, if, if people are treated properly, you know, and, and just to sort of remind coaches, like, you know, take away wins and losses and all that kind of stuff. Like every, and I can say this from my own playing experience, like you remember how coaches treated you. You remember how like the cultures that they created and and that's the kind of thing that's long lasting. And I just don't think we talk about it as not, uh, we don't talk about it enough. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that Ted Lasso, <laughs> I know he's fake, but like at the same time, I just think you just feel good after like even just watching it, you know, and I think that coaches have that power and I think it's a good reminder to them of that. Kira McCormick, thank you for speaking out. Thank you for coming on our show and best of luck with all of your pursuits moving forward. Thanks for having me. All right. Those were the thoughts of Kira McCormick. Uh, some interesting stuff in there, Amy. Definitely some optimism about some real change being possible in this moment, but also some realism that comes from someone who's been in this game for a long time and has seen how long it takes sometimes for any real progress to be made. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's probably a, a view and a, a feeling that might be shared by quite a few in this moment because you do see all this this happening, all this momentum and you know, obviously, I mentioned in there here in England, we've seen sort of people joining together in solidarity and messages from elsewhere. And, you know, it's it's kind of like what Kira said, like, you don't want it to be this this sort of explosion and then then nothing. So it's definitely it's definitely more about what happens in the, the long term than than what's kind of going on right now. I guess it's just going to be one of those things where we're going to have to wait and see if, if there is real change. And, and hopefully there is. Yeah, we're, we're really going to have to stay on this story because it's going to take a long time to unfold. You know, like we talked about last week, there are five separate investigations going on here in the U.S. into everything that's been going on in the NWSL. So we really might not know the outcome of this for months. 
And so when everything is said and done, will the same people still be in charge? Will all of these enablers be removed? It's, it's, it's really unclear. And, and that's why I think it's important to continue to stay on this story, even as time passes. And I think having somebody like Kieran McCormick to, to speak to as a reference is, is going to be huge as well. Somebody who has this experience coming forward and, and knows what kind of changes need to be made and is currently trying to implement change in the game. So that's going to do it for all of us for this week. Thank you once again for listening. Reminder to please subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back at you next week. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.